I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. If you've been following along with the show, you know that each episode we take a look back into the past to examine how societal changes have affected the way that we design and build our spaces now and into the future. But sometimes, the past echoes through time in paranormal ways. Each year, we will highlight some of the world's most haunted spaces. My name is Demetrius, and you are listening to a special edition of Spaces Podcasts, which we call Haunted Spaces. 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 On a crisp, clear day, travelers and locals visit the 120-acre Poinsett Bridge Heritage Preserve to enjoy the lush, shaded, and very quiet setting, nature, walking trails, and time with family and friends. Poinsett Bridge, the centerpiece of the preserve, is a stunning historic stone bridge nestled in the woods of Greenville County, South Carolina. Constructed in 1820, the bridge spans 130 feet over Little Gap Creek. Stepped parapet sidewalls were constructed on both sides of the bridge. The height of the bridge, from the water to the top of the parapets, was 24 feet. The most iconic element is the dramatic pointed arch at its midspan that was 15 feet high and 7 feet wide. The identity of the architect who designed the Poinsett Bridge may never be confirmed, 
as no plans of the bridge have been found. However, the design has various architectural and engineering elements that suggest the hand of Robert Mills, who was in the public works department that commissioned the work. For reference, he is also responsible for the Washington Monument and the Treasury Building in D.C. Poinsett Bridge is the oldest surviving bridge in the state, and maybe the oldest in the southeastern United States. Its beauty and history are a constant attraction by day. However, under the cover of night, its visitors are known by locals to be otherworldly. Stories in the community swirl of incidents where cars malfunction on the bridge, unable to start. Witnesses encounter lights and colored orbs floating towards them, voices and screaming howls from above and below the bridge, and even events of people being pushed and pulled by a presence while they're walking around the base of the bridge. These vivid claims attracted investigators from miles around to explore the seemingly unexplainable paranormal activity. For one team, of nearly 400 photos around the bridge, nearly 100 of those photos displayed some type of phenomena, orbs of varying shape, size, color, and density, and an unexplained mist of a male figure was captured on film as a noise simultaneously echoed through the woods. Another investigating team found that electromagnetic field, or EMF, activity appeared to move about the area, never detected in the same place. It was as if a presence was walking around them. Another story involves a single investigator who, under solely the light of the moon, walked the lush, wooded area nearby in search of strange occurrences. As he approached a clearing near the arch of the bridge, two glowing orbs appeared, one blue, one red. His brain signaled for him to run, but his body was frozen with a fear that gripped him with an unbelievable force. Not even a scream could escape his lips. Like each stone block framing his view of the orbs, he was restrained for what felt like an eternity. The orbs vanished and he was released. He took off running through the woods, thrashed and scratched by branches and thorns against his skin. The pain was non-existent to him, as he was preoccupied by the weight of what he could only explain as an entity following him, pressing down on his shoulders and back while he ran. But when he looked, there was nothing there. In an attempt to explain a history to the phenomenon, Stories of Native American burial grounds and an enraged female slave who was murdered by beheading, lynching, or axing emerged over time. Being in the South and having been documented as land to Cherokee tribes, these made for plausible explanations, but it is the tale of its construction that is also particularly fascinating. After the end of the War of 1812, when cotton could again be sold freely to British factories, the state had a surplus of funds to do even more in the way of internal improvements. Beginning in 1817, the state legislature began to pass programs that specifically included the construction of roads, canals, and public buildings. 
The Saluda Mountain Road and the Poinsett Bridge were constructed in 1820, but they were only part of an ambitious program to augment transportation, both river and road, throughout the state. The Saluda Mountain Road work formally began on July 17, 1820, with around 500 workers. At the time, it was estimated that the work would take three months to complete. Instead, it took three and a half months, possibly four, because of several unexpected delays, including rain, availability of liquor, and sickness. Malaria had struck South Carolina early that year, and many workers were already sick, bringing the infection to the site. Even some untouched by malaria caught flus and colds. Some 40 to 50 laborers were hospitalized during construction, and as the remaining workers pushed through the grueling conditions, harvesting stones from nearby quarries, transporting them, and methodically stacking them in place, stone by stone, a rise in a local river led to an unexpected flash flood. A sudden wall of water crashed into the site, killing some of the workers. Throughout the construction, others were lost from sickness or other accidents. As the legend goes, perhaps to save time or just to memorialize those that were lost while hard at work, these men were buried within the bridge, stone by stone, entombed forever. Thank you for joining us again. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate or like it, leave a review, and share it with a friend. If you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And until next year, this has been another edition of Haunted Spaces. 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 <laughs> Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK, the three of us 
took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.